morning, everybody. We'll dismiss the boys and girls to um, junior church and to the boys' class. You can make your way out with either Miss Linda or Mr. Dell, and they will bring you to the appropriate place. I do want to say this um, as a way of, uh, I want to say goodness. Okay, I don't know the right word. I, I can't think of it right now. But I want to compliment you guys. You guys sang as well as any time that I can remember you singing um, in a while. And I was going to say this last week, because last week didn't sound as good. I'll say it like that. But you ought to sing from your heart. You're not here listening to people performing. Singing in church is never to be a performance. It's a time of worship. Now, whatever that style may look like, whether it's hymns or whether it is a worship team up here, it's for you to worship together and for your heart to be in tune with the Lord or to get in tune with the Lord through the words, through the melody, through um, just connecting and meditating over all of that. With that being said, also, church doesn't have to be a place of solemn quietness. Um, this could be a place of life and excitement. That doesn't mean we make noise needlessly, but it means that when you get excited, sing out. When you get excited in the message, yell amen. When you get um, whatever you want, you, you just be in tune with the Lord. Don't feel like you have to be like this. This is a time where God is speaking to us and the Holy Spirit is alive and uh, alive in us and so but i did want to say good job singing today or i don't know if good job is the right word but um it was good i also want to um remind you of what was already said about easter morning we are going to have a great time um in the word of god and we're gonna have a great breakfast a plan for you and one of the reasons for the breakfast is outreach and so and and fellowship but we want you to be able to invite people to come, to enjoy that with us. Remember, there'll be an 8 a.m. service over at the old church building, and then there will be breakfast here anytime between 9 and 10. You don't have to be here at 9. You can come 9.30 if you want. Um, just know that you know maybe all the good stuff's gone by 9.30, so maybe you should come early. But it's a great time um, to evangelize, to bring people in, and uh, we'll see what the Lord will do, right? This is not our plans. They're ordered by the Lord, and we just... Um, we want to see as many people here so the Word of God can go out to as many people. Um, and so let the Holy Spirit do all that. But I want to remind you of that. And um, I think we might still need some people to make bacon at home to bring it here. But we'll we'll talk about that by next week. So making a couple pounds of bacon and bringing it here would make a lot easier of a cleanup and time downstairs. Um, uh, so you can let us know if you can help out with that. But thanks to all those that came to the meeting last week to um, put their hat in the ring and say I want to help. And so I really appreciate that just the same. If you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus ought to be relatively easy to find, even if you're brand new to church. It is the second book of the Bible. So Exodus chapter number 12. And then we will open up in a word of prayer. All right, let's pray. Father, once again, we come to you needing your help. Father, I need your help. Every every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, I need help with. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts through the Spirit of God, that your presence would be readily known. Thank you, Father, for all the forgiveness that you offer through Christ and his shed blood. Thank you for the songs that we can sing about how great you are, Lord, and that, um, Father, you are both the lion and the lamb, the lamb that was slain in the lion out of the tribe of Judah, 
And Father, we can come to the altar no matter what our baggage is, no matter what our um, past is, no matter how many burdens we may carry. Uh, Father, we can come to You and cast all our care upon You, for You careth for us. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that again, the Spirit of God would have full reign in our hearts, that You'd anoint our ears, that You would empower our, our hearing, um, Father, that we might receive the Word of God. And so, Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts. Lord, I also, Father, really call out for You to save anyone here who needs to be saved, Father, to allow them to call on You to become born-again believer, Lord, and to have their eternity settled. And so, Father, I just pray that whatever um, truths they need to be revealed unto them, Father, that You would do that and draw them to Yourself. And now, we, Lord, we lift all this up to You. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to bring you back to the book of Exodus and uh, look at some of the storyline that goes on here. And, and really, I want you, to, everyone here to see something that could very well change your eternity, especially if you don't know Christ. Exodus chapter 12 now is not necessarily about Christ specifically, but it is about Christ um, in a main way, and I will show you all that in just a little bit. But in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for a couple hundred years. You remember the whole storyline, how um, through Joseph being sold into slavery and then eventually ending up in Egypt and then his family coming over to Egypt through the famine. And there was a great story of forgiveness there in Genesis. Well, sometime later, the Pharaoh who uh, the Pharaoh who came on board did not care about Joseph or what he meant to Egypt and enslaved the Israelites. And so they've been that way for a couple hundred years. Um, and so we fast forward a couple hundred years from the time of Joseph to here. And they, they were made into slaves to help build the monuments, to help build perhaps even the cities and pyramids and things of that nature, forced to make the bricks for these great structures. And the Israelites have cried out to God in their affliction, and we've told, we're told that God heard their cry. Now one of the amazing things, and you read through the book of Psalms, and now this is not what we're preaching on, but this is a side truth, and maybe, and when we see these side truths, we mention them because maybe God brought you here for a side truth. Um, Every time it seems that someone, no matter how much of a mess they got into by their own by their own doing, when they cry out to God, He hears their cry. I love it. Even when the Israelites rebel against God and rebel against what His commands were, and they made the mess, they they dug the pit that they fell into. They cried out to God, and God heard their cry. And I'm so thankful for a God that hears us in our affliction, whether it was someone else afflicting us or whether it is us in our own affliction. And so the Israelites have cried out to God, and God has heard them. And He raised Himself up a man <clears throat> that He wanted to lead His people out of Egypt, and it's the man that you and I know as Moses. Now, as many of you know, uh, the miracle, Moses was born an Israelite at a time when Pharaoh was having all the newborn boys killed. He did not like the amount of people that were, the, the, the number of the Jews was starting to become threatening to the Egyptian population and so he was having all the newborn boys killed and of course moses's mother in an act of faith hid moses until he could no longer be hid and then sent him down the river now that takes a great amount of faith and think about the fear humanly speaking that would come from sending your child down the river and saying okay god he's in your hands now there's a great truth there there's a side truth there for us who don't want our children to grow up and send them out into the world. I don't want, I have my kids, I want to keep them all. 
But I know that eventually, and they're older, I don't have to send them down the river at a few months old or whatever. Um, I have to send them down the river when they're a little bit older. I don't want to do that even now. I, I have the fear of like, no, I care most about them. I want to keep them. But we know that God cares most and God is in control and he sends him down the river trusting God. And of course, the miracle is that Pharaoh's daughter is the one that plucks him out of the river and through that scenario says, I want to keep him. Look at this little puppy I found. I want to keep him, mom. I want to keep him, dad. And 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 uh, um, the Lord orchestrated all that. And we know the story that even Moses's mother is is beckoned to come nurse. We need an Israelite woman to nurse this child. And who would God have it to be? And it winds up being Moses's mother. And so for the first 40 years, Moses, um, he's raised in Egyptian's palace as an Egyptian uh, prince, while the rest of the Israelites suffered in slavery. And there came a time when Moses was about 40 that he was moved by the mistreatment of the Egyptians against the Israelites. And, in the, and, and so an Egyptian slave master rose up against the Israelites and, and were beating them. And Moses rose up and murdered him. He literally murdered the Egyptian who was mistreating the Israelite slaves. And then he was on the run because even though he was the prince, they were still after him. They were still going to kill him or execute him. And so he thought God's done with him. And so for the next 40 years, we find Moses on the backside of the desert saying, man, I thought God raised me up to lead his people. I thought I was doing a good thing and it was a bad thing. I murdered him. Now I'm banished to the backside of the desert. And for the next 40 years, he basically is just tending sheep that are not even his own. Jethro sheep. He's just, I mean, think of how, tedious of a task that is we lead sheep around a desert i mean i don't even know i mean with david we know he fought lions and bears and things i don't know what moses fought scorpions and tarantulas maybe leading them around but god wasn't done with moses not yet and so there came about a time when Moses was 80 that God came to him via the burning bush and told him to go back to Egypt. And God was going to lead his people out of slavery, out of their affliction. That he heard their cry and he was going to use Moses. And of course, Moses is like, no way. I can't. I'm a murderer. I go back there, they'll execute me. They're not going to listen to me. They're going to despise me. I can't speak well enough. I don't have the talent. I don't have the gifting. I don't have the ability. Finally, God is like, uh-huh, okay, end. And he finally convinces Moses to go back, and Moses submits to the will of God. And Moses rallies the Israelites through God's leading and confronts Pharaoh to let his people go along with Aaron, his brother. And through a series of nine plagues, God wrecks havoc upon Egypt to convince Egypt that the God of the Israelites was the only true God. And to convince the Israelites that their God was the only true God. And it seems that many of the plagues ended in similar fashion. Where Pharaoh, seeing the devastation and promising to let the Israelites go, but then would harden his heart and change his mind and go back on his promises. And finally, God solidified the hardness of his heart. And that's exactly where we find ourselves now. Nine plagues down, each one of them seemingly where Pharaoh's like, fine, let him go, let him go. Only to say, no, not letting them go. Nine plagues down, one left to go, and the last one is the most devastating of them all. 
Look at Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. And the Lord spoke, spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to the eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night and roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the uh, pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth unto it the morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be unto you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall ye be, shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations you shall keep it a feast by the ordinance forever. And so we have this um, list of what to do to the people of Israel who were in Egypt. They would take a young lamb, a spotless lamb, and that means one that had no blemish, no defect, no discoloration. And they would take that lamb and they were to slit that lamb's throat and allow the blood to pour down. The blood would pour down the perfectly whitened wool. And they were to take that blood and they were to put it on the doorposts, um, like here and here and here. And they were to put that blood on the doorposts as well as eat it in certain, in certain ways that we're not mentioning right now, but they would put it on a doorpost. But it would be this tenth plague that that night the Lord Himself would come through the land of Egypt in every single house that had the blood applied, He would pass over and spare the judgment. But every single house that did not have the blood on its door, the Lord would send a plague of the death of the firstborn. That means that the firstborn son of that house would die suddenly that night. See, it wasn't enough for the family to be Jewish to be spared. They had to apply the blood. It wasn't enough for family to be rich, they had to apply the blood. And it was, it wouldn't be enough for the family to be a ruling family of Egypt they would have to apply the blood. So that night, every family that believed the word of the Lord would take the lamb's blood and apply it to the door. And if they did so, they were spared. Now I want you to understand this. Let me, let me say this again. They would take the lamb, shed the blood, and to put it on the door. And if you did that, you would not face the judgment of the firstborn. But if you said, I don't think that's going to happen. Or if you said, I'm Jewish, I'm God's people, we're fine. 
it didn't matter who you were or what you had done or what you didn't do or what kind of prestige you had. The blood had to be applied. If the blood was on your door, no judgment. If the blood was not on your door, then it doesn't matter who you would face that judgment. And so every house that refused to put the blood or didn't know about it or didn't care about it or didn't believe it, that next morning at the house, there would be a shriek of horror. Look at verse 28. The Bible says here, And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. Even Moses and Aaron took the lamb, shed the blood, and put it on the door. Verse number 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. So even the animals died, even the ones that would be in prison died in the dungeons and in places of captivity. Every single place, every single house, every single manor all died. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. Now what a horrifying scene, what a horrifying event that transpired that night. But I want to remind you of something. Like I said before, it had nothing to do with being Jewish versus Egyptian. Nothing. A lot of times somebody might ask me, um, the Jews all got to heaven, right? No, not necessarily. If they did not have personal faith, they did not go to heaven. Sometimes I get this question asked. Was salvation of the works in the Old Testament? The answer is no. Salvation was always by faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness or counted unto him for righteousness sake. And so the execution of faith may look different. Um, here they had to put a blood on the door, but that was faith. They had to believe the word of God and follow the commands. It was not that they were earning their passing of judgment by doing these things it was that they believed the word of the lord that judgment was coming and the only thing that would spare them was the blood of a spotless lamb it was always by faith and so that night i i would imagine many boys in in israel or the israeli slaves would be looking at the door if they knew the command they'd be looking at the door i mean if, if i was there i'm the firstborn son of my family and I'd imagine if I was about 12, 13 years old, I would be like this all night long. Make sure the blood's still there. The blood's still there, isn't it? Dad, Dad, is the blood still there? Is that dark enough? Will he see it? Because I'd be real nervous. Now, if I was the second born, I'd be sleeping like, oh, I don't care what happens tonight. He always bullies me anyway. No, I'm sure there'd be, I mean, don't, wouldn't you think there'd be nerves? Wouldn't you think there'd be, as a dad, I'd be like, how, how much, how, how far, how long, how, do I have to put a lot of, can I kill a lot of lambs and just start putting them everywhere? Can I, what, what can I, can I just bathe in the blood's lamb, of the lamb of the blood? I'd be, I'd be kind of like a little bit crazy too. I wouldn't want my son to die or my firstborn to die. And I'd imagine they'd make sure it wasn't dripped off. And, and the next morning, when it was still visible, they would have been very thankful 
that they were spared from the judgment because sometime that night they would have been woken up by the cries of the Egyptian families as they cried out in terror. And I I would imagine that perhaps some of the Egyptians may have even known about this. Maybe not. We can speculate one way or the other. But I can imagine that some of them may have thought this. Oh, that I wish I would have just listened. Why didn't I put the blood on the door? Why didn't I just do it? Maybe there was even some that said, I was going to. I was going to, but I didn't. It was too late. It was too late. How would I wish I would have done what the Israelites would have done? And my son would not be dead. And you might consider that the Egyptians had no idea about this, but consider that this was the tenth plague. And so the tenth plague, they, they, they would have they would have probably known about it. And all of Egypt clearly saw the power of God in the first nine plagues. And they had all the evidence right there before them to see God of the Israelites was the true and living God. That was one of the reasons why God did what He did. To not only prove to the Israelites, I am God who is going to lead you out of this place. And to prove to Moses, Moses, it's not you, it's me. But also to prove, I mean, if you took ancient history any time in your academic life, you know that the Egyptians have a lot of fascinating gods. By the way, none of them exist. They exist in word and in monument and obelisk and things of that, but they don't exist. And God was saying, listen, there's one God, and it's none of yours that exists. It's me alone that I'm God, and I'll prove it to you. And plague after plague after plague after plague was there. So they had all the evidence, and and Pharaoh had the opportunity, but he refused. And the only thing that made the difference, the only thing that made the difference between the Israelites and the Egyptians was the blood. Do you realize that? That's the only difference. Faith in the blood is what made the difference. Not a faith that remained in good intentions. I was going, if an Israelite said, but I was going to tomorrow, it wouldn't matter. If it was, but, but I, I took a rabbit and put it, I don't know if rabbits existed then or in like in that area, but if I took rabbit's blood and did it, it had to be the lamb's blood and it had to be applied and had to be applied then before it was too late. That faith in that blood was absolutely transformative for them to be spared for the judgment. That's why it's called Passover, by the way, because the Lord said, "If I, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Fast forward a thousand years plus, and we have John the Baptist. One of the greatest preachers ever. And absolutely one of the great preachers in the beginning of the New Testament. And here in John 1, I'm just going to read it to you. 
And we sung about this. And again, David and I never cord. And David asked me yesterday, in case you're wondering. He was in my kitchen. He said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, I don't know. And he said, you're stressing me out. <laughs> and what I'm saying here is the Lord always knows what to deliver uh, in his timing. And David selected a song that talked about the lamb that was slain. Think it a coincidence, if you will. I think it's the Lord. John one twenty nine. the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John saw Jesus, and his crowd of his disciples and a crowd of onlookers were there with him. And John had been preaching, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they were there, and he was a crazy looking man. He ran around the wilderness eating locusts and honey, dressed in camel skins and things of that nature. And when John saw Jesus, he said, everyone, look, look right there. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Now, what did he mean by the Lamb of God? Well, every Jewish person would have known what the lamb represented. The lambs were not just good for their wool. They were not just good for their, for their meat of mutton. They were there because they provided since the time of ceremonial worship and sacrifice. They were there always to represent sacrifice for my sins. The lamb would die in my place and pay for my sins with its blood. So each time there was an atonement of sin to be made by the Israelites in the tabernacle or the temple or wherever, they would take a lamb and say, okay, you sin, so the lamb has to die. And not just die, let's break its neck. Its blood has to be shed, slit its throat and blood all over it. Gruesome, sick, disgusting, but necessary, necessary. Either the lamb dies or you die, pick. And now John the Baptist makes... A proclamation that is so easily missed through our Christianese, meaning our Christian language, the Lamb of God. No, no. For that time he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And for those that were understanding, they would have thought, he's the sacrifice. His blood has to be shed. Now we know they probably didn't all get it because the disciples didn't get it. Even when they walked with Jesus for three and a half years, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to die and be rose. And they're like, no, you're not dying. No, it's necessary that I, nope, nope, we'll kill anybody that tries to kill you. And they try to stop it. That would mean be like, you're going to kill the lamb. And I would say, no, no, on the day of Passover, dad's going to kill the lamb. And my kids say, no, 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 you're not killing that lamb, it's too cute. Listen, you're cuter, we're killing the lamb. Right? For them to stop, try to stop Jesus from dying, it's in good intentions. But it would have stopped salvation, it would have stopped redemption, it would have stopped the purchase of our sins. And so, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God! That's what he was meaning. Paul later helped clear things up when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 5-7, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Do you understand how theologically rich that is? And how that the Passover in the beginning, where we find it in Exodus was always a picture to point to the coming Messiah. It was not just an Israelite event. It was not just here's a creative way to send a plague. 
It was always pointing back. The Bible's always in congruency with itself. It's always in harmony. It's always in perfect unity of itself. That's one of the ways we know that the Word of God is absolutely the infallible Word of God. That it's from God, not of man. And so the Passover points, later on, the blood will be shed by one once and for all. And Paul said, you know what? Jesus is our Passover. Now this is where the most important things you may ever hear in your life start to become realized. If I was there the night in Exodus, and I was here as the one of the elders of Israel, and I said, tonight, you got to put dads, you better listen to me right now, moms, you better listen to me right now. That blood has to be on the door. Because here's what's going to happen, and here's what God said, you must do it. Some of you might say, I don't, I, I mean, we never did that before. Why do we have to do that? That sounds weird. That sounds excessive. That sounds, I don't care what it sounds like. Put the blood on the door. Put the, I'm telling you, put the blood on the door. I can't force you, but put the blood on the door. It's the same urgency that we have. Hey, listen, there's only one way to heaven, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Put the blood on the door. Cry out to Christ. That sounds excessive. That sounds exclusive. That sounds like it's not fair. I don't care what it sounds like. Cry out to Christ. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that Christ is our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. The God of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, voluntarily, for the joy that was set before Him, left His throne on heaven, come down here to be sacrificed and named among the sinners to be sacrificed for our sins that He'd go through that torturous death, that His blood might be shed, that His blood might be applied to our souls as our Passover. He's our Lamb, the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice for us. Understand the Jewish understanding of sacrifice. It's not that He laid down His life so you could live uh, in, in that way. No, no. He laid it down to purchase your soul with His blood that you may live. There's a lot of analogies that we try to use to picture Christ and, and the death. And, you know, we think of, uh, you know, he laid down his life on the track so that the train would divert. And, you know, a lot of different ones that, that are clever and may make sense in the time. But understand, he didn't just give up his life that you might live. He shed his blood as a sacrifice because it was the only way you could live. If Christ did not die, there would be no hope of eternal life for anybody. Because good works do not lead anybody to heaven. Good intentions do not lead anybody to heaven. Sincerity do not lead anybody to heaven. Good riches and good ruling and, and leadership and morality, and none of that leads anybody to heaven. It is the blood of Christ like it was the blood of the Lamb. And, and Paul solidifies that thought that Christ is our Passover. So His blood we are spared. So we look back to the original Passover that we might be helped. Those who had the blood on the door were spared. Those who were not were killed. Likewise, those who have the blood of Jesus applied to the door of their heart or the door of their soul will be spared. Those who do not will be killed. I don't make the rules. I don't get to make the exceptions. I get to clearly tell you like I would if I was an elder of Israel that time. Listen, there's no gray area here. It is either you have the blood on the door or you don't. It is not... Christianity's kind of a kind of a neat thing. Why don't you try it? If I said to you that night, 
putting the blood on the door would be kind of an interesting family experience. It'd be kind of neat, wouldn't it? You guys would be like, I wouldn't say that. You know why I wouldn't say that? Because I'm not trying to tell you to do it because it's a neat experience. I'm trying to tell you because it's the truth and there's no other way. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to tell you from the Bible, there's no other way to heaven. And that's not me saying this. That's the Bible. That's God. That's God's Word telling us. The application of Christ as our Passover doesn't apply to this life where Christ will save our physical life or, or kill our physical life. It applies to our soul that those who have Christ will be spared from the judgment of hell and the judgment of our sin and go to heaven. But those who do not, listen to me, those who don't have the blood of Christ applied end up in hell, which is the lake of fire, which is the second death. And my friend, there's only one question to ask you. Has the blood of Jesus ever been applied to the door of your heart? I'll phrase it like this. Have you ever been saved? Now, we preach about salvation quite often on Sunday morning. You say, why do you always preach about salvation? Well, because it's the theme of the Bible. You want to hear preaching about other stuff, you've got to come Sunday night and Thursday night where we preach through whole books of the Bible. Now, we don't just always preach about salvation, but I'll tell you this. God is doing a work here where every week there's people who are not saved that are coming in. You know how wonderful and exciting and absolutely awe-inspiring for God to bring people in here to hear the gospel that aren't saved, that they might have an opportunity to cry out to Christ? A lot of times you've got to go out there to, to have people hear the gospel who haven't heard it or aren't sure of it. God's been bringing people in. And you ought to know what the right theology on things are. What is the Passover about? Oh, it's a Jewish thing. Well, it was a Jewish thing, but it's not a Jewish thing because Christ's our Passover. That means it's no longer Jewish. It's, it's Christian and it's everything. Have you ever been born again? Consider what Jesus said. Now, born again is the same as saved. Saved is, same, is the same as me using the phrase, you ever put the blood of Christ on your door. It's ever you ever been become a believer. All of those are synonymous. All of those are the same type of, of meaning of the different terminologies. But consider what, what is written in the Bible. Jesus said this, John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want you to hang on every word that we read from the Scriptures. Because the power is in the Word of God, not in the clever sermons, not in clever illustrations, not in, in, in the pronouncing of my, my words out there. It's the Word of God that has the power, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Bible says, Jesus said, if except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again in John 3, 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The Bible also says it like this, John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you say, I can't understand King James language. If you have the Son, you have everlasting life. If you have not the Son, you will not see life, but the wrath of God is going to come upon you and is upon you. Why, why are we up here urgent? The same reason we would be urgent in Israel. John 5.24 Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, 
but is passed from death unto life. When you become a believer in Christ, when you call out Him to be your personal Savior, it's at that moment that the blood gets applied to your life. You're saying, hey, listen, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner who needs, who needs payment for my sin. And I recognize by faith that your blood was shed for me. And I'm crying out to accept that truth. That's the same as applying the blood on the door. 1 John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You know, when I was earlier on in, in my journey, someone came to me and said, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And I said, I don't know if I can know I'm for sure. I thought we had to wait until our lives were over and we measured our good works versus our evil deeds and our sins. And if our good works outweighed our bad works, then I would be let in. And the person said, look at what this verse says, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's good news and bad news. Here's the bad news. If you're going to wait till the end of your life to measure it out, you'll never know. And you're disregarding what the truth of that scripture. But here's the good news. It doesn't matter if this is your scale. Bad works, good works. And I mean the scale weighs down, not like they're higher. It means if you have done horrible things, treacherous things, sinful things, and you recognize that and say, where is hope for me? Is there any hope for me? Friend, there is absolutely hope for you, but only in the blood of Christ. There's no hope in reformation. There's no hope in changing. There's no hope in, 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 in coming clean. There's no hope in fixing. Those things might be helpful in everyday life, but they don't solve the eternal issue. The only thing that solves the eternal issue is the blood of Jesus Christ, our Passover, who was sacrificed for us. That you may know that you have eternal life. And I'm so thankful this morning that we can sit here and we can know that we have eternal life. And I want you to know Jesus and His saving power. Now think back to the Passover. Remember, it didn't matter if you were Jewish or Egyptian. The blood had to be applied. And it doesn't matter what nationality you are. The blood has to be applied. You have to be saved. You have to be born again. And it doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't mean that you're saved or not. You don't, you must have the blood applied. You must be born again. It doesn't matter if your parents are Christians. You must have the blood applied. You must be born again. And it just as it didn't matter how rich or prestigious or how much power someone had, they, if they had to have the blood applied, and likewise, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or if you're someone or if you're a no one. It doesn't matter if you're powerful or if you're not. You must have the blood applied. Salvation isn't something to be unsure about. Just as the blood wasn't something to be unsure about. And so just as the boys might have been checking and making sure the blood was applied just right, so too do you and I want to make sure that we're saved. I'm not trying to make anyone doubt their salvation. Satan wants you to doubt your salvation. But I want you to consider whether you be in the faith. I want you to, Lord, do you, am I saved? And I'm not trying to make you doubt. I'm just trying to make you say just because you... Sometimes, here's what happens. You can come to church for a while and you kind of feel good about it all and maybe you've been here for years and you 
you feel like now I'm a Christian. If you've never called out on Christ to save you, coming to church doesn't make someone a Christian. Faith alone in Christ alone does. Now, baptism, faith in baptism does not save. Faith in church does not save. Faith in giving does not save. Faith in, in saying, ah, oh, you know, this is, this is a, I, I have faith at the Bible. No, no. Christ alone. Have you ever cried out to Christ? I don't want you to doubt it unnecessarily, but I want you to know. I want us all to make sure the blood is applied. And you may want, not want to believe this. And you might not want to buy into all this. And neither did the Egyptians. You might think there must be an, another acceptable way. And the Egyptians would have thought the same thing. There must be another acceptable way. And you might think this isn't really going to happen. But when it does, it's too late. Eternity is not something to gamble with. It is forever and you and I are guaranteed to die. And when we die, we will be in eternity. And the Bible tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is sin that makes us deserving of hell. And every one of us has sinned. And since every one of us has sinned, every one of us deserves hell. And it's only by the grace of God that He saves. That God would take Himself a perfect lamb. The command was for the Jews to take a perfect lamb. Find the best one of the lot. Without blemish. Kill that one. And God said, I have the perfect lamb. I'll send Him. That's where John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God the Father said, I have the perfect Lamb. It's My Son. I'll make sure His blood is shed for you. I don't know if you have children or not. I don't know how much you love your children or not. But I couldn't imagine sacrificing any of my children for any reason. And yet God the Father said, I have one spotless lamb. One perfect. And His blood alone is what is able to save all of sinful humanity. Think of how vile we have to be in God's eyes. God is perfect, holy, just. And here we are. We violate every bit of God's character every single day. And God says, I have a spotless lamb. It's one thing to say, kill your lamb. It's another thing for God to say, I'll give you mine. Which is my only begotten son. Even for God the Father to hear the prayer of Jesus in the garden. Father, if there be any way for this cup to pass from me. Is there another way? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As Jesus on the cross cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The restraint there must have been to not say, enough with these sinful people. 
I'm going to get my son. His blood for my wretched soul. The Bible tells us all the way back in Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. My friend, I want to ask you again, are you saved? Are you born again? And if you're not born again, you'll end up in the very place that you and I deserve. Hell. Now I know that that truth may make some feel uncomfortable this morning, but picture it this way. Again, we're both families in Egypt, and we hear what God says, that we must put take a lamb and kill it and put the blood on the doors, and we find a family that hasn't done that yet. Let's pretend that you and I put the blood on our door and we find a family that hasn't put the blood on there. How are we gonna, what are we gonna say to them? We're not gonna be like, I don't wanna make this uncomfortable, so I'm not gonna say anything. We're gonna put the blood on man. Well, that's your own thing. No, no, it's gonna be your thing in a minute. Put it on! We're gonna be confrontational, we're gonna be urgent, we're gonna be passionate. And I'll tell you why that a lot of Christians aren't fervent, passionate, urgent. The only thing I can figure is they must not really believe it intensely. Penn Jillette, who is an atheist, I share this this kind of illustration all the time, this story all the time. Penn Jillette, an atheist, kind of like a genius IQ magician, does Penn and Teller, um, magician as in like tricks and comedian type guy. Um Staunch atheist, he gives, uh, you can look it up on YouTube, just type in Pendulette, Gift of the Bible, and um, he tells a story about a man who gave him a Bible, and um, through that he says, though I don't believe it, though I'm not, an, uh, I'm not a believer, and I respect the man for doing that. I would, he said, I never will get offended when somebody shares their faith with me, because he said this, if that's really true, how much do you have to hate a person not to share it with someone else? He said, if I, he used the illustration that if I saw someone in the road and a truck's bearing down on them and they don't see it, it's only a matter of time before I run and knock them out of the way. So this man really believes what he's saying about Christ. Though I don't believe it. Though it's not convinced me. I respect it because he believes it and he cares enough about me to tell me. I want to tell you this. I care enough about you today to tell you. I know hell sounds horrible. I know it sounds scary. I know it sounds uncomfortable at times to say, or you're saying everyone that doesn't have Christ goes to hell or doesn't go to heaven. Yes, yes, yes. It's urgent because it's true and we have only a limited amount of time. Just like we'd be in Egypt, we don't have time. Your son's going to die. The firstborn's going to die. So do we give them the good news or the bad news? Hey, do it. Someone see this as bad news, but the truth is it's good news. The reason it's good news is because now they can go apply the blood on the door and be spared. It isn't bad news because it's the truth whether we like it or not. But there's a solution is the blood. And my friend, hell is bad news. Our sin is bad news. The fact that we deserve hell is bad news. But in reality, it's all true. Am I telling you this is not bad news? It's good news because there's a solution. You came in here today and you said, man, I've been a wreck my whole life. I messed up my whole life. I'm sinful. Or maybe you think, oh, I'm not. I'm pretty good. I've only lied one time my whole life when I was in third grade. When my teacher asked me if I cheated on my test, I said, no, it's the only lie you ever did. You're lying. And that still would condemn you to hell. But the bad news, you don't have to leave here unsure if the blood's on the posts. 
you can leave here knowing that God loves you so much that He gave you His spotless Lamb to be a Passover and a sacrifice for your sins that when we face God later on in eternity and God looks at you, He will not see your sin. He will see the blood applied and He will pass over you and say, enter into the kingdom. Or He'll say, come into Me, My child, My son, whatever words He may use. That we won't have to face God as our judge. We'll face Him as our Savior. And I want to remind you too, because sometimes we get that nervous that I believe enough. And I often use the illustration of two boys that night. One who believes, sleeps well, and says, the blood's on the door, I'm good. And the other boy keeps checking and saying, I'm not sure if this is going to work. The blood's there, but I'm not sure. I'm really unsure. The next night, the morning, they both were spared. Because it wasn't about how intensely they believed something or how sure they were or how much they feared or didn't fear. It was the fact that the blood was applied. And the blood of Christ is applied. It's applied and it's kept applied. I love the verse in the Scriptures where it says, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance. Today we have a chance to rejoice if a sinner comes to Christ and says, save me, forgive me. I want the blood applied to my door. Friends, we overcome hell and sin and the enemy through the blood of the Lamb. I love that the song says, I have no, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. Satan is defeated through the blood. Our consciences and our shame is defeated through the blood. Our hell and sin defeated through the blood. Today you have an opportunity to be saved. So as we're in this Passover season, right? Passover's coming up. Easter's coming up. They're tied in and resurrection's coming up. Understand that Passover was never intended to be Jewish. It was intended to be Christ. It was a picture of it all along. Christ, the Passover for our sins and our sacrifice. Have you ever put the blood on your door? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Christian, The blood's been put on your door. You know that you're born again. What a great truth that is. But if you're not sure, friends, it's the night of the tenth place. And I'm here to tell you, it's not my plan, it's God's plan. You can... Not believe it if you don't want to, but I'm telling you there's consequences. And I'm here to tell you, listen, don't believe me, believe God. Would you call on Christ to save you? Do you? I know the Spirit of God works. The Spirit of God draws you in. It's not clever words. It's not crafty sermons. It's the Spirit of God. If you feel that inside of you, and I don't mean, I don't mean physically, but if you, you feel the pull, you feel the conviction of sin, you feel like, I have to be, I need to be, 
then now's the time to respond. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, no looking around. We ask this every week, and we'll continue asking it every week. Because God saves, and I don't know who's saved and who's not. Neither do I need to know. God knows. How many people here would say this, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure if the blood's been applied to my life personally. I don't know if I've been born again. I don't know if I'm saved. Would you pray for me about that? I'm not sure if the blood's been applied in my life. I don't know if I'm born again. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand right now? I'm not sure I've been saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Would you quietly raise your hand right now? I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? Good. How many people here would say this, Pastor Jason? The Lord has spoken in my heart about being urgent about the gospel. Being urgent about sharing this because it is truth and because people need it. If you say, that's me, Lord, I mean, that's me, Pastor Jason, would you pray to God that I'd be a little bit more fervent and urgent in sharing this truth with people? Would you raise your hand? Praise God. Many hands raised. Many hands raised. Let's stand to our feet. Head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Whether you're rejoicing that Christ is our Passover, whether you need to come to talk to somebody about how to be saved, or whether you want to just pray that God would stoke the flames of your heart to be more urgent and fervent about sharing your faith, why don't you come as the piano plays? Why don't you come pray? Why don't you come speak to God? Why don't you come just pour your heart out? Maybe something else is going on in your life and you want to come and just talk to God about that. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? Imagine, if you will, you're an Egyptian slave and you're in Egypt. And your neighbor didn't get the memo about the blood. And you know he doesn't have the blood on the door and you do. And you know he doesn't know what to do. How much do you have to hate him to not go share it with him? You say, well, well sorry for that boy. How much would you have? How cruel do you have to be? I, I know this is what culture will tell you. But what if I go over there and he hates me for it? He'll understand in time. He'll understand in time. The rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, send him to my father's house that he may testify lest they also come into this place of torment. A rich man who was in hell cried out, someone go to my, my father's house. Please, someone tell my father and my brethren. If the people in hell are crying out, and the people in heaven are crying out for us to go, the only thing holding us back is us and cancel culture and our society and fear. Let's share that faith. But I hope that all this also intensifies your love for God, that He would send His only Son to die for us, the spotless Lamb of God, the only one who could. He did that. He's our Passover.
Well, now you know what that all meant. If you said, I always hear he's called the Lamb of God, but what does that exactly mean? Well, this is what it means, my friends. He wasn't a physical lamb. He was the spotless atonement for our sin. The blood shed. You know all those things you did in secret and shame? He died that you could be forgiven of them. I love what David read in the Scripture reading. That he died for all. Friend, he, he says, put the blood on the door. By faith, receive this. We have a lost and dying world that doesn't know or doesn't care. Or thinks they're good enough. Nobody goes to heaven without the blood of Christ. And none of us deserve the blood of Christ. The song, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? Father, I eternally am grateful for the blood that was shed for me. Thank You so much, Lord, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Father, I don't stand up here righteous, spiritual, holy, in my own accord, Lord, my own doing. I'm far from that. But Father, I know that judgment will pass from me because the blood of Christ has been applied. Lord, thank You so much. So much. I pray for those that need to be saved. I pray for those, Lord, that you stoke their hearts to say, I need to urgently share my faith, share Christ. Not because I'm trying to sell them anything, not because I'm trying to convince them to do what I'm doing, not because I'm better than them. No, no, no. Because they need to have the blood applied too. Thank you for seeing us in our lost trespasses and sins. And coming to die for us. That we might be redeemed. Lord we pray that as we leave this place. Father we would have renewed love for you. Or just reminded of the love you have for us. And that we would love you because you first loved us. Lord I pray Father that we would fervently follow you. And passionately share the gospel urgently. I pray you bless the refreshments. I pray that you bless our afternoon. Bless us tonight as we come back to service. We love you, Lord, and we lift all this up to you. And we pray, Lord, for the memorial service that's happening this afternoon for those that are involved, that you comfort their hearts. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing one more song, and then you'll be dismissed.